You guys can have a seat. If you're a note taker, here's the main idea. As Pastor Vinny said on the video, all these are in the notes portion of the app, so you don't have to frantically scribble, scribble them down. They're there for you. Jesus is the cornerstone of salvation. So people throughout history have tried to rescue themselves from death by their own efforts, good works, self-achievement, wealth, power, etc. You fill in the blank there. Salvation is found in Christ alone, and whoever trusts in Jesus will never be shaken. Amen. Right? So throughout history... All of humanity, bar none, including us, have tried to rescue ourselves from death or from punishment, from judgment, from God, from whatever, in whatever way we are prone to. Maybe that is in our own good works. We think, well, I'm a good person, therefore I can go to heaven. Not a biblical statement, but a common statement made today, right? So people constantly long to achieve things in their own power, under their own steam, as it were. But God is saying you can't do that. The only way you can come to God, he is saying, is through Jesus. Amen. And so he will unpack that over this chapter throughout the message today. All right? So Isaiah chapter 28, we're going to be in verse 1. It says, ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Ephraim, by the way, is Israel. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. So here's some things to set up the context for us today. The first word in verse 1 is ah. In 28, 29, 30, and 31, it will begin with the same Hebrew word. Now, I love this translation of the Bible. The ESV is a very academic translation. It's a literal equivalent, so it's an attempt at being word for word versus a dynamic equivalent, which is a thought for thought translation. So you get a lot less, you get a lot less uh, bias in it when it's more of a literal equivalent than you do a dynamic equivalent. It's a good translation. Uh, I found kind of something weird here. So it's the same Hebrew word that starts these four chapters. And yet three times it used the word ah, and on the fourth one, on 31, it'll use the word woe. Not like Joey, whoa. Not, 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 I know none of you are old enough for that. Anyhow, so I got it. The people that laughed were so old it made me hurt. It just, I'm just saying that outside. I just dated myself. That hurt a lot deep down inside. I'm just saying. Ah does not con convey the same meaning as woe. Woe to you, Israel, is how this should begin. Right? Same word. And for whatever reason, they'll translate it woe four chapters from now. But it's this idea of judgment is coming your way. Woe is this idea of the opposite of blessing. Woe is a judgment is coming or pain is coming your way. So woe to Israel, called Ephraim here. So woe, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. So here's the setting. Israel, also true of Judah, which we're not talking about today, but both the northern and southern kingdom have become so comfortable living in the blessings that God had poured out on them over the centuries. As God has been good to them, he's given them fertile ground, he's given them plenty. Now that is starting to wane. And so as you can see, like maybe in this country, there are people, in this country, people have a lot and there are people that don't have a lot. And there's a lot of people in the middle. And I know right now our economy is growing, so it's a bad time to use this example. But if you backtrack several years to the crash of 07, 08, right, 
when the housing market crashed, there were different impacts on people. In fact, I was handing off a church in Orange County and I was moving to restart a church in the high desert up in the Inland Empire. People in Orange County were losing retirement accounts. People in the Inland Empire were losing their jobs, right? Both had an impact. What you can see, this impact is different than this impact. Doesn't mean it's better or worse, but it's different. The people that I had pastored in Orange County owned the companies and they were laying off people and they were cutting back. It was impacting them and they were losing their future retirement. Obviously, a lot of that's come back. If you wait it out, it comes back. The people in the high desert were losing their jobs, losing their houses. And so when a nation hits that decline, for whatever the cause, whatever the reason, but God has told us the reason for Israel is he's just lifting his hand off of them, right? We've talked about them being disobedient and unrelenting, so much so that God is taking his blessing away from them and things are starting to happen. So crops are starting to dry up. Income is starting to dwindle. Foreign nations are threatening them. People have come in and wiped out whole cities of theirs. And so people are feeling it. But there's still some resonance of kind of some comfort in some circles. So the king still has plenty of food. The rich still have plenty of wine. And so many people still have enough to where the pain is not so great that they've returned to God. Does that make sense? We can feel that in our context here, right? We can see how that applies to us today if we just kind of take that and, and put it into our context. And so what he's saying is, your, your crown of drunkenness, your, your, your glory, the thing you show off is your belief that what you have can satisfy you. And your fading beauty, the fading flower, like your beauty is fading. The thing you're trusting in is sinful. And the image you're portraying, I'm watching as you, as you decay. Does that make sense? So this crown of drunkenness, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, the fading flowers, this fading flower of its glorious beauty, that language is going to be used throughout. God is going to strip this crown, and he is going to offer another crown. He's going to take away this beauty, and he's going to offer a different beauty. The crown of drunkenness, Isaiah uses drunkenness as one sin to represent many sins, sins of abuse or misuse of what God has given them, in our context, what God has given us. God's people are living in unrepentant sin and not heeding God's warning in Isaiah's day. They are too numbed and comforted by their own sin to take God seriously. I think this was true when our economy crashed just over a decade ago. We compared that, we talked about, oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened since the Great Depression. But remember in the midst of that, in news stories, you would show pictures of the Great Depression where people were waiting in lines for what? Bread. Bread. And yet in the crash of 07, 08, people were waiting in lines for what? iPhones. Seriously. Still when they dropped iPhones, there's a line outside the Apple store. Yes, they were buying it on credit. They couldn't afford to pay back later, but still the pain wasn't that great. You follow me? The pain isn't that great in America where America is, is saying, listen, we need to return to faith. Or maybe folks that never had one, we need to find a faith. 
The pain isn't that great. And that's where Israel is right now. The pain isn't great enough for them to actually change. So verse two, behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He cast down to the earth with his hand. So this woe that is coming is Assyria. The army that is coming to destroy Israel is Assyria. They're a surrounding nation that has become an empire. And the difference is when you go through the, when you go through the history of this area, at one, at one point, Israel, one nation with Judah, all was this nation of 12 tribes, this massive, profound nation. Other nations, as, as God removes his hand of blessing from them, they decline. Other nations start popping up. When those other nations start popping up, they start conquering other nations, and they become empires. And right now, the Assyrian Empire is the most prominent, most uh, powerful nation on the planet. There's others still. There's the Medes and the Persians that will rise up later. There's Egypt, who was once an empire. They're still fairly strong. And part of the problem is that Israel is going to align with Egypt. We'll see that in just a minute. Verse 3, the proud crown of drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, it will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. The message here is that you will be destroyed. You think you have power. You think you have ability. We're going to find out you think you have an agreement with surrounding nations. But when I come in, God speaking, to destroy you, it will be like that first ripe fig on a tree that is plucked and then eaten. In other words, it's here for one minute and it's gone the next. That will be your nation. This will be the judgment you will endure. Verse 5, in that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory. Notice the change. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a, a crown of glory and a diadem or a jeweled crown of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and a strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So this true crown and beauty will now come from God. But I want you to notice what is being said here. That through this judgment, some will return to God. And we've talked about this before. A, rem a remnant of truly believing people will, be, will remain or will convert and, and will stay. And God says, to those, to those who return, I will actually fight the battle back for you at the gate. So there's this idea of, listen, you're unwilling to change. You're unwilling to stop looking like the nations around you. You're unwilling to stop considering worldly things more important than godly things or worldly things more important than spiritual things. And since you're unwilling, since you've heard the message but you've not changed, since I've spoken to you but you've plugged your ears, I'm going to come in and wipe out your nation. I'm going to use Assyria to come in and wipe out your nation. But in the midst of that, my desire is not just to wipe you out. My desire is that you would change. My desire is that this people again would worship me. Now just, just kind of hold that thought for a minute. Consider this in your own life. Consider this in the life of the Western American church. Consider this in this nation. If God were saying to us, listen, there's a penalty due to your actions. 
right? We can pick those actions some other time. But there's a penalty due to the things you're doing wrong. And we've, we've talked about a ton of them over the last 27 chapters. Things that we today, as followers of Jesus, in this place at this time, are doing gravely wrong. If we were to hear this, what we should hear is God will punish your sin. God will judge your rebellion. The end result God desires is not your judgment or discipline or punishment. God desires you to return. That make sense? Play this out in the church. Right? The church in America is a watered-down version of what we see in the Bible. Fair? Even our best efforts are pretty far. And the Western American church has become the feel-good message of, hey, um, you know, if, if we talk about sin too much, people won't show up to church. And so we're just going to talk about three better, you know, three steps to a better marriage and how to make you feel good. And will you write us a check? And that's, that's kind of become the Western American church. But when we look at what God's word says, it is deeply convicting. It is deeply different than what we do. Amen. True? Yeah. Fair? Six of you are like, yes. The rest of you are like, I'm not sure where you're going yet, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. What about in our own lives? God would say, listen, where you're not following me, I am willing to correct you. I'll tell you first, I'll encourage you again. You'll hear it around you. You'll hear it many times. And then if necessary, I will use my hand to move you from here to here. And you won't like it. But my desire is that you return to me. My desire is that you live a life fully given over to worshiping me. That's God's message. That's what we need to hear in this. So redemption hidden in woes. In each judgment that God proclaims over people, there's an opportunity to escape the penalty. God's desire is to see people return to faith rather than be disciplined. This is true for all of us as long as we're alive, right? And what I mean by that, as long as we're living, as long as we're still drawing breath, we have opportunity to return. We have an opportunity to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. We have an opportunity to turn from sin and follow Jesus, right? As long as we're still breathing. And that also means we never arrive. We never arrive at this place where all of a sudden we have it all together, right? So if you're new here to this church, if you're visiting us today, let's be clear about one thing. We don't think we have it all together. We don't think we do it all right Amen. at all. That we are in constant need of repentance. That we are in constant need of returning to God. And so as long as we're drawing breath, there's opportunity and there's need. Verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. God is speaking here clearly to the priest and to the prophet. What we need to see here is that God's leadership, if you will, so the spiritual leadership in Israel have fallen away as well. Let's go back to the Western American church, right? It, it, it is what it is, not because of people, but because of leaders. Fair? Like you only, we, as a collective church, we go where leadership drives us to. Now, you can choose to be on board or not, right? Yeah. But leadership is, is ultimately 
answerable to God for this church. There are passages in Scripture that I can tell you for sure scare me to death that tell me I'm accountable for this, for you, as well as for me. But there's a different level of accountability, one for teachers and two for elders who lead the church. So twice there is some warnings to me, like ultimately I have to stand before God and say, this is what we dug in on. This is what we ignored. This is where we went. This is where we didn't go. This is where I put effort. This is where I didn't put effort. And and ultimately there is that conversation, just like you have to stand before God and answer for your own life. And husbands, I'll go a step further, and you have to stand before God and answer for your families. Right? We got quiet quick. Okay, so... In the Western American church, leadership is responsible, right? You don't blame the kids if the whole family's a mess. You blame the parents, right? That's what he's saying. Listen, your leadership is equally guilty, right? Your prophets and priests, the ones who ought to be making you holy and the ones who ought to be calling out the sin in the camp, they're the ones drunk too. And so everything they say is vomit, He is using that drunkenness metaphor to not only are they vomiting because of their drunkenness, but their words, their words about faith, their words about God are like vomit on the table and there's no space left, God says. Just let that sit for a minute and consider it. Verse 9, this is the religious leader's response to Isaiah as he prophesied. Now, a prophet, just to be clear, if you haven't heard this, a prophet is one who speaks on God's behalf. He speaks God's message with God's authority, okay? Tends to call out sin in the camp. We think of prophets today as people calling out sin in the world. It's ones that call out sin in our own people. Rarely are God's people, God's prophets, called to go call out sin in other people. There is some examples. Jonah We're getting ready to do Jonah as a series here in just a couple weeks. We're going to take a break from Isaiah, and we're going to do a series called An Unwilling Missionary. We're going to look at Jonah. God does call him to go to an evil people and tell them they're evil and call them to repentance, and he doesn't like this at all, right? Most of the time, God's people, God's prophets are called to speak to God's people. I say this a lot. This is for us inside these four walls today, not for them, right? This message is for us. Verse 9, so this is their response. To whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, infants, taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. This is the modern American English equivalent to blah, 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 yada, 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 yeah, yeah. In Hebrew, it all rhymes. My Hebrew is terrible, so I won't do it. I promise, I'll save you that. You owe me for not doing it. I'll just say that. It's this rhyming, linear, blah, blah. It means nothing. You can translate it this way, but you miss what he's saying. They're mocking Isaiah, and by that, they're mocking God. They're like, you're going to teach us, blah, 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 blah. That's what they're saying. Like, why would God teach us? Like, we're the religious we're the smart ones. Like, no, you're the ones whose breath smell like vomit, right? But they're saying this. 
And their response is to push back against God. Now, before we get too judgmental and look back at them, let us figure out we do that all the time, right? Right? There are people that are rewriting the Bible for us for the inclusion of other people that are considered, not other people, but for other lifestyles that are considered outside of God's holiness, that are outside of God's best plan for them. We're making excuses and changing things and saying, well, culture says this. There's got to be a way. This must have just been written in a patriarchal society. And so we're going to change the pronouns. We're going to make them more inclusive over here. Or we're going to change this. And this isn't really sin. That was just not viewed well in the Old Testament. And so people are now getting to say, listen, we're so smart, we can redo the Bible for you. Vomit on a table. Right, so as we, as, we, as we look back throughout history, let us not get too judgmental and pointing of fingers without us recognizing we do this all the time. Amen. Right, so we're not exempt from all of this. Verse 11, for by people of strange lips, with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak this to the people, to whom he has said, this is the rest, or this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Here's what God says in response through Isaiah the prophet. He says, you know the blah, 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 yada, 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 yeah, 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 you hear? It's going to be said to you in Assyrian. And then you'll fall back. So you mock God all you want, but God will mock you in another language as Assyria comes in and wipes you out. He says, listen, you're not hearing me. And so because of this, you're causing me to go the next step. Right? We see this even in our culture today. We know that there's stuff going on with Iran. There's this thing, and then this other thing happens. There's... And what we're watching is one thing ramp up over another. You can like it, you can dislike it, you can think we should or we can think we shouldn't, that's for another day. It's just still true, right? That's what God's doing. Like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. They're like, blah, blah, blah. Here's what you're gonna, like, and, and ultimately God's gonna win. Amen. And God is saying, listen, I've tried being nice, I've tried to call you to repentance. Right, I've sent prophets to you that actually said the right things and you killed them. You beat up other ones. And so now your prophets and your priests have joined in with you and they've just, the whole thing is corrupted. So I'm sending Isaiah and there's, there's a couple others, Jeremiah. There's a couple people just speaking truth to the people, God's truth to the people. They're still not listening. And so it's escalating and God is saying, listen, you know that whole in that day, like it's a future thing? Well, that day is coming now because you're unwilling to hear me. And so the, the volume, the tension, the power has all ramped up. Verse 14, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule the people in Jerusalem. So before we get into what he has to say, there's two ways that you and I can learn. We can learn from listening, or we can learn from doing and making our own mistakes, right? I put this, you, we have the ability to learn from others or from living through life ourselves. Israel has the ability to learn from Isaiah, but chooses not to. We can now learn from Israel's mistakes rather than making our own. So here's the idea. Parents, if you have children, you often will share about how you have made a mistake, hoping your child does not make the same mistake, right? Fair? Like, hey, I've done this. This was a bad idea. Don't do this. Okay, right? 
We do that to one another. Hey, I've done this. This is really bad for your life. This is really bad for your marriage. This is bad for your finances. You know, like, don't do that. I've done it. The other way we can learn, so we can learn by people telling us, here's the right way to do this, and we can do it. But a lot of us tend to go push the boundaries and go, well, no, I totally can get away with that, right? And so we will go do it, then we'll make our own mistakes, we'll get our own penalty and our own punishment, and then we learn the lesson. There's two ways to learn here. You can learn from hearing and listening, hearing God speak through Isaiah to the people. You can learn through reading about Israel's mistakes. You can learn by listening to what they have done wrong and not repeat the same mistakes. Or we can plunge forward headlong into our own stupidity and do those things ourselves. Right? Don't touch that. That's hot. Better to listen than to touch it, right? Then you burn yourself, then you remember. There's two ways to go about this, right? Verse 15. So he's saying, hear the word of the Lord, right? Here's what he's saying. Verse 15. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming wit passes through it, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge and falsehood, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. What has happened is Israel has made an agreement with Egypt, Now remember, Egypt used to be an empire. Egypt is now settled down into another nation, right? Modern day Egypt is just better than a third world country. So from the biggest nation on the planet back in the pyramid days and the Pharaoh days, all the way to this, right? Exactly as God has said. In the midst of this, on their way down, Israel decides, well, they're bigger than we are, maybe they'll help us. He says, ultimately you've made a deal with death. You made a deal, it's just gonna end up in you getting killed. So man-made salvation, how do we tie that to our lives? Just as Adam and Eve in the garden attempted to cover their own sin themselves, so if you're unfamiliar with that story, as Adam and Eve, the first human beings, disobey God, the first thing they do is they they gather up a bunch of leaves and they try and cover their nakedness. They recognize their shame. For the first time, they recognize they're naked and they don't like it, right? So they try and cover their sin with their own efforts. You and I do this all the time. We try and make up for ourselves and try and cover our own sin our own way. Just as Adam and Eve in the garden attempted to cover their own sin themselves, we too try finding salvation in all the man-made things of this world, money, power, pleasure, etc. What do you rely on in the place of God? What do you rely on at the end of the week when it's been a hard week? What do you turn to for comfort? What do you place your highest value on? Where do you spend your money? What do you do? Where do you spend all your time? What do you value the most? Those are the things that lead your life. They say if you look at your checkbook, for you young people, your bank statement. If you look at whatever your, however your money is spent and you look at your calendar, that'll tell you what you love. That will tell you where your heart is because that's where your money is going. That's where your time is going. Those are our man-made ways of saving ourselves. Well, if I just have a good family, if I can get my kid into that college, everything will be okay. It doesn't matter if getting them in means taking them out of church for whole seasons at a time so that we can do this, or better grades, or a sports scholarship, or well, I was trying to think of the word, sorry. Or, you know, whatever it is that, like, we're investing in so heavily. Oh, I mean, I, I'm not going to be in church for a long time, so I'm going, to ch- I'm going to school to get a better education so I can get a better job, so I can provide for my family. Well, in the meantime, you've pulled away from God and pulled away from your family. Yeah. 
Like, consider that where we give our time and our money is what we are giving our hearts to. And sometimes those are right things to do, and sometimes they aren't. And those are for you and your family and, your, and those around you, those that you trust to figure out. But we have a lot of other things that we place all our trust in, in life. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a sure foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Other translations say, whoever believes will not be in shame or put to shame. This is a verse that is quoted all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'll give you two examples. Here's Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, most of you are not in construction, have never used a cornerstone. Cornerstone is a foundational piece. It's especially important where, uh, where walls come together, where weight will be bearing, right? As roofs come down and hit the walls and these junctions come together, it's this cornerstone, the thing that must be secure so everything else works, okay? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the foundation of faith. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus here if you haven't picked that up yet, right? Romans chapter 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart believes, for the heart, one, with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So you've got that Jesus is this cornerstone, and you tie that to the other verse, and we put our faith in Jesus, we will not be put to shame. This is quoted whole, it's quoted in pieces, but this, this prophecy from Isaiah, this future allusion to Jesus coming 800 years later from when he says it roughly, is about Jesus. Let's read it again. So it says this, verse 16. Therefore says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, or whoever believes will not be put to shame. Isaiah is beginning this, is just proclaiming this gospel over the people, right? In the midst of, you're going to be judged because you're rebelling against God, but really, I'm hoping for a remnant to remain. I, I'm, God is really, his desire is that there will be a people who will place their faith in him, and he will fight back the enemies with them. But they're still going to rebel, and God's still going to have to judge them, but... There's Jesus, and Jesus is this cornerstone you can trust in, this faith you can believe in. If you do, you will not be put to shame. We commonly speak of the gospel here at Generations in very simple terms, that God created us and loves us, that he designed us, and that he made us to be worshipers of him, right? That we are designed to, to live life, live a life that brings glory to God only. That's what we're designed to do. But sin entered into human history, right? Sin has corrupted us. And sin, if you're unfamiliar with the term, is just basically when we do our way, not God's way. Even when we do our best, we miss the mark, which is actually the definition of sin, is missing the mark. But sin has corrupted human history. We've inherited sin from the generations before us, and we've gone on in life, and we've added to the sin in the world. That's why we live in a broken world. We're a part of the problem. Right? We inherited a problem, and we've added to the problem. Pastor Vinny and I have started a podcast. We'll get it out, I believe, this week. It'll start, and we're working through a few things, but eventually we're going to get to some conversations, and one of them just asked the question, what can we do to save ourselves? And the answer is nothing, 
Everything we do just adds to the problem. Nothing we can do can save us. In fact, everything we try to do adds to the problem. We add sin to sin. So Jesus had to come and enter into human history. God in human flesh had to come and live a sinless life and then die the death that we deserve. He dies that death in our place is buried in a grave to cover our sin and then raises from the grave, raises to life that he can give us new life. So the gospel is not just our forgiveness for sin, but it's newness of life. It's the empowerment to be different. It's, that, it's God awakening us to life and causing us to live in the way we were designed to live. And again, we're not perfect. We don't get to do that perfectly. But change begins to take place, and Christianity is transformation. All of us must change in Christ, bar none. That's one of the missed messages in Christianity today. When we talk about people, other people that have to change. Oh, you have to change to be a Christian. No, we have to change too. Amen. We had to change when we, come to Je- when we came to Jesus, and we have to change today and tomorrow and as long as we're still breathing. That's the gospel, that we are never perfect. But in Christ, we are constantly being empowered to be more like him. And that if we're willing to submit ourselves to him, he will do the work. He will change us. Anything else is a man-made salvation. Trusting in anything else is not only vain, but leads to death. Verse 17, it says, And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. God says everything that you do, everything that Israel does to save themselves from Assyria will not work. The only thing that will work for them is turning to Jesus. Everything that you do to try and please God will not work apart from Christ. But if you turn to Jesus... You are pleasing to God. A plumb line is this. Most of you wouldn't have a a point to know that, but uh, often in construction in the past, before levels and things were built, take a weight at the end of a string. You would hold the string, the weight would hang down, and when it stopped moving, that was perfectly straight in every direction. Right? You can understand. That makes sense, right? Today we use bubble levels or anything else, right? This plumb line would give you that if a wall is out this way or shifting this way, either way. So it would give you that perfect, that perfect line to work off of. What God is saying is that Jesus is that perfect line, right? I am to compare myself with Jesus, not with Brooke, not with Rob, not with you, not with anybody. You're not to compare yourselves with me or anybody else. It's to Jesus, right? That we are to compare ourselves to Jesus, which means what? We are always going to come up short, Right? We're always going to be leaning one way or the other that isn't right. So perfect justice and righteousness is found in Jesus. Can I have that slide, please? Jesus is perfect justice and righteousness and what we measure ourselves against, eliminating any attempt at salvation by human effort. His grace is what covers our shortfall. The most common way people say they will go to heaven in America among Christians is because they're a good person. Good person is this. I may not be level, I may not be straight, but I'm better than that guy. Right? Well, I'm, 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 I'm better than Hitler, right? I mean, I'm not as good as Mother Teresa, but you know, I'm, I'm a good person. 
exactly by what are we measuring a good person, right? And why is it that 99.99% of all people will say they're good people because their scale measures whatever it measures that puts them on this side of it, right? God is saying perfect justice and righteousness, perfect level, perfectly straight, not out in any direction, is Jesus. He is that plumb line, right? The terms for a wall that's, that's, that's correct is both plumb and line. That's, that's kind of how they talk about it. Am I right? Good. Got a framer in the second row. I'm checking my math. I used to frame, so I haven't framed in like 25 years, so I just thought, man, I should check my math, right? Verse 19. As often as it, meaning judgment, passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through, and day by night, and it will be a sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. Basically, there's no hiding from God. He's saying when judgment comes, there's no hiding from God. Can't crawl on your bed, throw the covers over, and somehow let it pass over you. Verse 21, the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, the valley of Gibeon, and he will, re, uh, he, he will be roused. To his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. Here's what he's saying, and you just kind of have to know some Jewish history in this. These two locations are locations where King David of Israel, when Israel was at its height, he beat back the Philistines in these two locations. He miraculously, by the hand of God, because of his faith, because of the obedience and faith of the people, beat back enemies of God's people on these two locations. And God is going to say, those, God is saying in these two historic, miraculous, high points of Israel are the same places I'm going to have you beat back by Assyria. The place that you celebrate, you have monuments that you look back to as a place where this is where God delivered us from Philistia. Or this is where God did this. This is going to be the place where I will judge you and defeat you, God says. Verse 22, now thereof do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord of hosts against the whole land. Isaiah, Isaiah says, stop mocking the word of God. Because with every mock and with every sin, your handcuffs get tighter. You are handcuffing yourself to your own sin. Verse 23, give ear, hear my voice, give attention, and hear my speech. Again, there's two ways to learn. Will you learn by listening and hearing? Will you learn by the mistakes made by others or by the truth spoken by God? Or will you forge forward and make your own mistakes and endure your own pain? The next several verses is a farming parable, and you can read 24 through 28. And it's basically, it says this, a farmer knows when it's time to quit tilling the ground and when it's time to plant seed. He also knows when it's time to stop planting and start growing. And he knows when it's a time to stop growing and start harvesting. And he doesn't till the ground for too long. He doesn't, he doesn't plant for too long. He doesn't grow for too long. He doesn't harvest for too long. He knows, he knows when enough is enough. And that's his message to the people. And that's his message to us. Do you know when enough is enough? Do you know when it's time to just say, okay, enough. I need to return to God. He closes with this, verse 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. 
There's two ways to learn. You can learn by listening or you can learn by enduring the pain yourselves. I share my story with you oftentimes because there, I, I hope no one ever makes the mistakes I made, right? That you can learn from my failures and the pain I've endured and hopefully you'll never struggle with addiction. Hopefully you'll never, you know, kind of live that life outside the law on the streets doing that. Hopefully you'll never be in jail, never be in jail. Hopefully you'll never do those things. Because if I can learn from it and pass it on to you, then I can save you the pain that I endured, right? And praise God, he delivered me from that, and, and I'm here today. That's great. And, and maybe God will do that with you too. Maybe you can do all those dumb things and return. Great. Why suffer in the middle? Why not just learn up front? Why not just take God's word as truth and live it? It's never been, it's never been wrong it's not been wrong in history. It's not been wrong in my life or the lives of the people around us. Look, it's trustworthy. I'd say this, it's trustworthy until it isn't. You, you prove it wrong, great. But it's trustworthy. I'm going to close with these two things. These are also quotes from this passage about the cornerstone in Isaiah. Romans 9 says this. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I'm laying, a, a, laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He says, why? Because they pursued God by works. And he's speaking to a Christian church that has been infiltrated by a bunch of zealot Jews who are trying to tell them that in order to be a Christian, they also have to be a good Jew. And so they're pursuing this by works. And he says, so why do they miss because they're trying to do it on their own. But as it's been said, and he's quoting Isaiah, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him, the cornerstone, the rock, the precious stone, that is a him, it's Jesus. Amen. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The second one is in verse, in uh, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepting to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." Our man-made salvation, our man-made fixes to our own sin, our man-made ways of redeeming ourselves, be that self-help or, or hard work or thinking I'm a good person, whatever it might be, trusting in our income, our wealth, our home, our position, trusting in intellect, trusting in anything else, God says is not going to fix you. Jesus alone. And then Peter takes that one step further than Paul does, and he says, now listen, Inside of that, you become transformed and you become the message. You become the one to take this message about Jesus being the only way to God out to the rest of the earth. Through the transformation Jesus does in you and me, we become the witnesses to others. That first we place our faith in Jesus, that Jesus transforms us, and then we take that message to other people. That we become that priesthood to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. How could we not? Jesus, in the depth of our sin, in our best efforts, 
We have fallen astray, all of us. Just as Paul says in Romans just before that, that all have gone astray. That no one seeks God. No, not one. Outside you, Jesus, we don't. And inside of Christ, we struggle. And so we just admit we're not perfect. But we are filled with your spirit because of your promise. We are forgiven of our sins. You have traded our filth and our shame, and you've exchanged it for your righteousness and beauty. And Jesus, you have made us yours. And in that, we have comfort, and we will never be put to shame. So Jesus, we owe you everything. There's nothing in this world we couldn't give to you and still be in debt. God, I pray if there's just anybody here that is struggling, maybe they're not a believer, and they want to know more, God, I pray that you would turn their hearts towards you. It's like you see in Ezekiel that you will take away the heart of stone and you will give them a heart of flesh and cause them to follow you. And I pray that you would do that. For those that wandered away, God, I pray that today would be the day they would return. May they hear the words of, may they hear the words where you proclaim judgment on sin, but you also call people back and say, that's not my heart for you. I want to love you back into transformation. God, for all of us, that should be all of us. There's all of us have things we need to lay down today and leave here. Things about us that are not pleasing to you that we need to stop. Let us all know, Lord, that transformation never stops. As long as we draw breath, there's not only opportunity, but there's need. So Jesus, we pray that you would do what only you could do, that you would give us life, that you will cause us to be the people that you have created us to be. And so Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.